0: Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. Say his name. Say her name. Say their names. It's become a cultural catchphrase. It's intended to draw attention to those who have been treated unfairly whose stories deserve recognition. Though these words sound simple, all words have great power. How we speak about injustice, how we speak about social change, affects the world around us, affects our small worlds. By encouraging people all over the world to say and use the names of deceased individuals, Their stories live on. Oftentimes, in the fight for justice, the focus is on the cause and the progress that is needed to be made. Say Their Name encourages people to remember all those who've suffered on this journey for change. The idea behind this hashtag, this movement, is that their name sparked a movement. And those names deserve to be honored and remembered. I often find myself right on the edge of a rabbit trail, a rabbit hole. And while I don't mean to demean or minimize the importance in any way of justice and righteousness for everyone in the world. We learned a little bit about that in the book of Isaiah, didn't we? Let's be very clear this morning with big smiles and clear theology no one has ever been treated more unfairly no one has ever been more worthy of receiving recognition in the face of unjust suffering than the crucified and risen Jesus Christ the foundation of Jesus' prayer for us, is His recognition that God is a holy and righteous Father. Isn't that beautiful? Can you imagine what we just read? Could you imagine being one of the 11 disciples and Jesus says, hey, pray with me. And you hear Jesus pray that in real time for the first time? heartwarming, righteous Father. I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them the same way you loved me. It's so profound. It's so beautiful. No wonder Easter gets us out of bed so easily. The Old Testament commonly teaches that God is righteous and just. Psalm 116 verse 5 says it succinctly. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Jeremiah 12. Righteous are you, O Lord. With Jesus' betrayal and through Jesus' innocent suffering, Jesus declares the righteousness of God his Father. And Jesus suffers as an innocent lamb for the sins of every person who has ever lived for the sins of any person who is now living and for the future sins of any man or woman who will live in the future our culture says say their names Friends, our church must remember there is not a more important name to say than Jesus. You see, Jesus finishes his prayer. The reason I drew this as introduction is because it amplifies what Jesus said in verse 26. My my job this morning is just the last three verses of Jesus' prayer. He said, I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. So that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We must also keep making known the name of God to the world. Friends, I could sit down with this statement Christ hung before men so that men might stand before God. He is risen. Who is risen? Say his name. Amen. Three thoughts this morning as we move to the passage. We're going to summarize the whole prayer of Jesus. There's three sections. The first five verses, Jesus' chief desire is that the Father would receive glory, right? He prays about that in verses 1 through 5. This glory is achieved by the calling together of a people. Sound familiar? You're living that in real time. The glory that Jesus prays for is achieved by the calling together of this people who know the only true God and his son Jesus whom he has sent. And this calling is worked out through the work of the son, the declaration of the apostle's message. Jesus prays about that in verses 6 through 19. And this last little section last week and today, the believers united witness that we As an aggregate universal church from the time of the apostles until Jesus returns, would be united with Him in the love of God and to one another because of our faith in Him. One Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is in all and through all and with all. What is our need this morning? There's something I'd love for you to take away from this. Jesus wants us to see his glory and be with him in the Father's love forever. What a great thing. Can you imagine something? I want you to see the glory of God and to be with God and Jesus in the Father's love forever. If you'll allow me to reread this, I'm so glad we read the whole prayer. It took three and a half minutes. But could you do this with me just for one second? Could you not read along while I read? Could you use sanctified imagination just for a second and imagine you are there with Jesus, listening to him pray, and he has prayed for his glory, and he has prayed for the ministry of the, 12, of, of the 11 that are in front of him, and then he begins to pray for you, whether you close your eyes or not, but would you just... Think of this as hearing someone pray. It's what it is. I don't ask for these eleven only, but also for everyone who will believe in me because of their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. That you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world, O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Three thoughts this morning, three verses that I would share with you so beautiful the way this dovetails so easily with the message of Easter. But number one, the prayer of Jesus, especially in verse 24, shows us the importance of prioritizing Easter. This is the importance of prioritizing Easter. I desire that they may be with me to see my glory. I'm going to ask several times this morning, but what's more glorious than a resurrection? In verse 24, Jesus prays for the realization of something he had commented on earlier that evening in chapter 14. It's beautiful. I remember reading these verses uh, so vividly in a hospital room with my brother Bob Wilson. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the same evening that Jesus is talking about this, and he pays this off here. He says, Father, he prays, I want them with me. He said he was going to prepare a place for his disciples. He would return and take them with him. And now here in verse 24, he communicates that desire to the Father that his people would be with him where he is, that they could enjoy what is said to be the incomparable glory that the Father gave to the Son. And how does Jesus qualify it? Before the foundations of the world This must be a glory that is anticipated even by the lovely things of the world, is longed for by everyone who has fallen under the curse. and this glory must be more glorious than anything that is in all creation today. The glory of God in Christ must be the fullest expression. We might say the consummation, the, the, the coming together of the full purpose. Of all that God intended. The full display of God's character. The shiningness. The outshining, the unworldliness of God's radiance. And the clear declaration of God's love for us in Jesus. This is the glory of an empty tomb. And everything else pales. Jesus prays for what we would call theologically the consummation of God's purposes when he prays that those who believe because of the words of the disciples will see the glory he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. This is a strong word. He says, I want, I desire. It's an action. It's more than a trivial wish. Jesus is using this expression with the disciples. At another time in a prayer later this evening, he will pray when he thinks of himself, not what I will but what you will. And this is so much stronger. This prayer request looks for the disciples to be with Jesus, not only in this life, friends, but in the life to come. In John 14, 3, as I said earlier, he wants them to be where I am. And earlier in this prayer, he said, I will remain in the world no longer. He looks for them to be with him so that he can see, that they can see the glory that the Father has given him. The majesty, the splendor that will be Jesus' in the life to come, because he rose from the grave, conquering sin, death, and Satan. The glory that the Father gave, the Son arose out of the love of that the Father loved him before the foundation of the world. Friends, this is unshakable. Do you feel it? This is outside of our understanding of time and space. This is how sure it is in the essential nature of the character and person and Trinity. And it came into existence before the universe was even created. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. And his desire that we would be with him is as strong today as it ever was. Isn't that good news? As we think about the, uh, the, this idea in the Old Testament, um, I and them and them and me are full of Old Testament connotations. Just one little thread to trace. After God gave the law to his people at Mount Sinai, The glory of God displayed on the mountain. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 16, Moses wrote, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the middle of the cloud. This glory came to dwell in the middle of the Israelite camp, in the tabernacle. A little later in the book of Exodus, chapter 40, we read, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, the tent where they came and lived. This idea of glory, and people seeing the glory of God. As the people of God moved towards the promised land, God always assured them that He was with them. That He was in the midst of them. Exodus 29, I will dwell among the people of Israel. I will be their God. They will know. That I, the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. He even solemnized this language Moses did when we get to the book of Deuteronomy at the end of the Torah. And he wrote in chapter 7, You shall not be in fear of these other nations, for the Lord your God is in your midst. A great and awesome God. And at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 23, he reiterated this idea. Because the Lord your God, listen to this, walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give up your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy, that God may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. With all of this in mind, as we think about the whole message of the Gospel of John and how this comes to fruition in John 17, remember John's prologue those first 18 verses that John wrote, before he began to tell the story, he summarized this prologue in chapter 1, verse 14. And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the word for tabernacle. He lived with us. He pitched his tent. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now Jesus' earthly presence Is about to be changed into a spiritual presence that will live in his followers in keeping with the Old Testament themes that God promised. In fact, Jesus prayed about this just a whisker earlier in John 17, verse 6. I have shown your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. So Jesus concludes the final instructions to his disciples just prior to the events of his betrayal and his crucifixion. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Brook where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And what happened in that garden, friends? Betrayal, arrest, and on the way to the trial and the crucifixion. Jesus is heading for the cross right now for us to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat Satan, to suffer and die as a substitute in our place, in my place, in your place that we might live with him forever and see his glory. This is the prayer of Jesus that shows us the importance of making Easter the first thing. Like Pastor Greg said, this is of first importance, most importance, that Christ died for our sins and was raised to new life. So important, this glory of the resurrection. My friends, in light of Jesus' death and burial, Can anyone come up with anything more glorious than the message of Easter? The empty tomb, the resurrection. In light of our great need of being saved from our sins, Pastor Brian shared it with us beautifully in the communion, the first Adam and how sin and death passed to all people. What's more glorious than a resurrection? That was accomplished with you in mind. And all the benefits to you. Listen to the word of God. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood about them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Amen. Say his name. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise... And what Greg shared in 1 Corinthians 15, I would remind you, brothers, the Apostle Paul wrote, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you because I delivered to you what I received of first importance from the Lord, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, Most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. You hear that? Paul's writing this 35 years later. And there are still eyewitnesses who he can appeal to, who see the risen Christ. Some have died, many of whom are still alive. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then Paul says, and last of all, as to one untimely untimely born, he appeared to me. On the road to Damascus. Paul slips his own testimony in there of seeing the glorified risen Christ. Beautiful, beautiful urgency. The passion that we ought to have over the Easter message. Second thought, the last two go a little quicker. We see in verse 25 as Jesus sums up his prayer, the compassion of Jesus. It shows us the urgency of celebrating Easter it's important it's not just that we should put it first but friends there is some urgency in this verse 25 he says "O righteous father and he he evokes this idea of righteous we'll talk about it in a minute even though the world doesn't know you i know you and these know that you have sent me Jesus has been sent to the world. We've seen this throughout the prayer, right? Sent that we might know that he would be, that they could know his sacrifice and mission for them. Sent that they would know that God loves them as much as God loves Jesus. The last two verses kind of form a a closing to the prayer. Some people, in the way they organize this, set these off as a, a separate division, almost like a closing There's no request in these last two verses, if you look closely. There have been requests throughout the prayer. Jesus is praying. He's asking God for things, for his own glory, for the strength of the disciples to keep them, for us to know his love, for us to see his glory and be with him. There have been petitions and requests, but in these last two verses, there are none. He's no longer praying in a sense. He's making statements about what he's done, his purpose for doing it. The address righteous father is very unique. Earlier in the prayer, he called God holy father. Here he calls him righteous father. Those are not the same words. He wants us to be reminded of the character of his father. He wants us to remember that God is holy and righteous. Incidentally, those phrases come up when he's talking about the world mostly. Jesus is not looking for necessarily an attitude of favoritism from the father. But as Jesus prays for his fathers, for his to his father, it's as if he wants to remember that God's nature is to be righteous. Right after he calls him righteous father, he distinguishes between the world and his followers. You understand what Jesus is saying. We've talked about it many, many times. the world and those who are in the world, and the lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life which are in the world, by its very nature, is ignorant of God, is spiritually closed off to God. It's described as spiritually blind, It's described as spiritually dead. They don't know God. They don't know the glory. But those who do believe that the Father sent Jesus, he acknowledges they do see it. Jesus has shown the name of the Father to his people, and he will keep on doing that precise thing so that the people of Jesus will experience the love of God. We'll get to that in verse 26. As I really thought about this in this message of Jesus, O oh, righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you, and these know that you've sent me. What a glorious thing that we are enjoying this morning. And yet, tragedy accompanies it. The world does not know him. I used to think about the tragedy of unbelief. And that still exists. There are people who have heard the message of Jesus and do not believe. That is true. But friend, more and more in America, there is a group coming up that they call the nuns. And I don't mean UN. I mean, N-O-N-E. They have no religious affiliation. They have never been to church. They have never heard the gospel. And there is a tragedy of ignorance. And we must retrain ourselves. And I think many of us who are older in the faith, we are skittish in our gospel witness because we think, because we've been trained this way, there are experience that people we're talking to have already heard the gospel and they've made a decision it will be an uncomfortable encounter. And I want to tell you, the statistics have changed and there are so many more people in the world, in America, especially who have never heard the good news of Jesus. This glorious truth of the resurrection. Friends, tell people tell people. Righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you sent me. It's implied pretty strongly, isn't it? And if we were to go back and read the previous verses, it would be very clear, right? The mission of Jesus. This is the calling. This is the calling, the urgency of celebrating Easter, not just today, but every day and living our lives and sharing our words that the gospel of Jesus and the resurrection of him, his resurrection, and the presence of an empty tomb changes our lives. I've got to move a little quickly here. Number three, the openness of Jesus in verse 26 gives us this wonderful joy of embracing Easter. I made known to them your name. That sound, here it is. I made known to them your name. And I will keep on making it known. It's just this open invitation. It's beautiful. And this joy that the love, and he repeats what he said last week when we were preaching, and the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What a beautiful joy of eternal love. Throughout the ministry, Jesus has made the Father known while he's been here on earth. Jesus has revealed the Father to his followers. He says he will keep on doing it. He will do it again. It certainly refers to the resurrection and the cross and the revelation of Jesus through the cross. By implication, then, it refers to the living Christ in us every day as he promised to send his Spirit same night, John 14, 15, and 16, This reference to love at the end is so beautiful. Again, the cross in mind, greater love has no one than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. We know the love of God because the Son of God dwells in our hearts. The love with which you have loved me may be In them, and I in them. The very last words of this prayer of Jesus refer to Christ's ongoing, continuing, eternal presence in the lives of his followers. Whatever the future holds for you, Jesus is with us and holds us forever. That is his enduring promise. In closing, I guess you could say that Jesus makes two requests in this section. One, that we would see his glory. And secondly, that we would know his love. Jesus prays that we might all go to dwell with him in glory forever. He prays that through the glorification of the Father and the Son, verses 1 through 5, his people called together through the witness of the disciples, verses 16, 6 through 19, through all generations, that we would reach the place prepared for us in his Father's house, and that we would see his glory. Jesus' definition of evangelism doesn't just stop at a person's conversion. His desire, his strong desire is that a person should dwell with him in glory forever. This is the reason why Jesus wants to continue to make himself known to his people through his spirit. His desire is for us to be with him forever in heaven. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the platform. I know we'll be having a final song here as I just finish a little conclusion here. Jesus wants to make known the name of His Father, the glory of His Father. And the way the grammar is structured, I won't go back into it there. If you look closely, you'll see. If we see His glory, it is then that we will know His love. So people think the love of God is an ambiguous and arbitrary and kind of wishy-washy, very po- very subjective, postmodern issue. That is not the case, friends. We know the love of God in this in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this section, Jesus has prayed for unity, for holiness, for glory. This is what Jesus seeks for us. It's what the Spirit inspired the biblical authors to teach us. This is what the Father uses His Word to do, to make us unified, to sanctify us, to show us His glory. God is sovereign, and He will do what He said. The Word of God will cause us to have kind of an out-of-this-world experience. We are living in the world, but we are not of it. Questions for us. Do we put ourselves in a position for the Word of God to do its work in our lives? Are we doing our part to contribute to the unity of the body of Christ? This is the purpose for which the Father sent Jesus. This is why Jesus came, lived, prayed, died, is this the purpose for which we live? Is this the breath and the wind which is empowering the minor purposes of your life? Are the purposes of your life a means to an end to accomplish the work of God in eternal redemption? Or are they an end in themselves? I pray they're not. I pray that the mission of God... And the work of the Spirit that He is working out in the lives and hearts of the world is accomplished because of the minor purposes of your life. And you see it clearly. There is no other love like the love of God in Jesus Christ. None so selfish. None as pure None so cleansing and transforming. Nothing renewing and saving. What else can help us persevere and finish the race? How could we respond in any other way than with lives of worship that show the world that God sent Christ and loved His people as He loved Jesus? There really is no other response. He is risen. Who is risen? Jesus. Say his name. Father, thank you for your love for us. It is a tragedy that some don't know you. Help us to know your love, love your love, and share your love.